we're still in Ecclesiastes, so we got all pumped up to get some despair, <laughs> some futility. Uh, I love Ecclesiastes. Um, even though it seems quite depressing, there's uh, every time I read Ecclesiastes and whatever Bible, phone, whatever, every time it says under the sun, I highlight it because you have if if you're not thinking about that Solomon is talking about everything under the sun, everything here on this earth, if you're not thinking about it that way, then yeah, it can, can be depressing. So today we're going to talk about some more stuff under the sun. Uh, we were in men's Bible study one Tuesday night a couple years ago, and uh, Greg Jessup was in there, and um, he asked the group of us if you could uh, tell somebody or teach or preach out of one book of the Bible, what would it be? And, uh, you know, a couple of people said Romans, and I think I said at the time First John, because that was what I was reading, and there was some good stuff in there. We finally got back around to Greg, and he said, uh, Ecclesiastes. Everybody was kind of like, wow. And uh, the whole purpose of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the preacher, right, says, uh, the whole purpose of it is to spare future generations the bitterness of learning through their own, own experience that life apart from God is meaningless. So to be able to show people that no matter what you do under the sun, that apart from God, all of it is pointless, futile, futility, right? And to be able to point people to that, once they get to the end of their despair and, and think about their life and what's the meaning of life, what's the purpose of life, why am I doing what I'm doing? They ain't got no choice but what turn toward God in most cases that was why it was his favorite book and I, and I never forgot that but uh we're in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 today uh verses 7 through 13 uh keep in mind like I said uh Solomon is talking about everything under the sun so almost if you were to think about life without God and it was just what we have here on earth. Just keep that in mind. Um, let's read it. I'm going to read it through and then we'll uh, talk about it. But before I get carried away, I'd love to pray. All right. God, thank you uh, for the rain. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for your creation and and uh, everything under the sun that you give us to to uh, point to you, dear Lord, to point to, to your authorship of this life. And uh, dear Lord, thank you that uh, you gave us Jesus and that we don't have to be bound to just what's here on earth and that we have uh, eternal glory and hope that uh, keeps us going, dear Lord. I pray that today that uh, we would just hear you and see you. Help us to open our hearts and minds and eyes and ears to what you're seeing and doing, dear Lord. And uh, dear Lord, I just pray that we don't miss what you're doing. We just worship our way through it. I love you. Amen. All right. Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 13. Uh, I'm reading out a New Living Translation, if it's a little bit different than yours. Verse 7 says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone 
without a child or a brother, yet works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. It is better to be a poor but wise youth than an old foolish king who refuses all advice. Verse 7 says, Yet I observed another example of something meaningless under the sun. Like I said, Solomon is almost... If you read through the whole book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, through chapter 3 last week, for example, he uh, is, is talking about despair and futility and meaninglessness, pointlessness. Uh, and it's kind of depressing, right? I think Bobby even mentioned a couple times, you know, after a while of reading that, you're like, Lord, I need something hopeful, you know. And, it, and Solomon almost kind of gives us a little bit of hope at the end of chapter 3, and he says, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there is a time for every activity and every work, if you remember that. And he gives you a little bit of hope, but then he goes right back into observing these things under the sun. Uh, Paul, or... <laughs> Solomon acknowledges that there is God, but he's saying, let's, let's take God out of it, for example, and just look at what is here on earth, under the sun. So he's observing some more examples to give you. Verse 8, the case of man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, and he works hard to gain as much wealth as he can, but he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is also meaningless and depressing. Uh, in verse 4, chapter 4, it kind of is a reference to verse 8. In verse 4, he says, I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. What do you get for being wealthy and successful? Guess what you get? Envious neighbors. <laughs> so for that's why Solomon said it's like chasing the wind. You can work as hard as you want to and have all the success and wealth in the world, and guess what you're gonna get? People jealous of you. I'm sure you've heard the expression, you must not be doing something right if people ain't talking about you. The case of the man who is all alone. The title of the message is, is Better Together, and I, I'm sure you can infer why. Um, a man who is all alone, who even has all the wealth and success, it's meaningless, pointless, even depressing. Who are you working for? That's what he asked in the second half of the verse. Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? What are you working for? You ever ask yourself that? What's... Why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the purpose of it? Whether you know it or not, 
Everybody's a slave to something. On Wednesday nights, we just started going through the book of James, and James addresses, starts the letter with, I'm a slave of God and of Christ Jesus. And uh, James is Jesus' half-brother who didn't believe in Jesus while he was here on earth. It wasn't until the resurrection that he believed Jesus was who he says he is. And a lot of people, I used to have a problem with that word slave just because of the connotations it's carried in the past. And then I realized, thinking about my brother, if my brother was Jesus, for me, to Jesus would have to be exactly who he says he is, and I would have to 100% believe to call myself a slave of my own half-brother. Everybody's a slave to something, whether you realize it or not. I hope today you'll ask yourself, why am I doing what, am I, what I'm doing? What's the purpose of it? Because if you don't, you might end up like Solomon at the end of your life, going, looking back and going, man, I wasted a lot of time. What's your idol? Everybody idolizes something whether you know it or not. And most of the time, if you don't know, just look at where you spend your time and your energy and your money. And a lot of times that'll point to what, what you worship. Maybe it's success or gaining more wealth and you just get people talking about you. It's also meaningless and depressing. Uh, Proverbs. 2720, I think helps understand why it never fulfills you, why there's never any contentment. Proverbs 2720 says, Just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desires never satisfied. Can somebody name me one person that's content, truly content, under the sun? People try to sell you on contentness, don't they? Like uh, Matthew McConaughey tried to say you're Lincoln and make you feel like this this is the car I need. This is, you know, this is going to make me happy, more content. And then you get it and you realize once them payments start coming, it didn't make you feel good as you thought, did it? <laughs> I was, uh, I went to go see Mr. Robert Hudson one day this week and a lot of times we sit out in his wood shop and he tells me stories and and uh, we were talking about trucks and how expensive they are now and and he pointed to his old black truck and he said, you know what the best option on that truck is? I said, no what? He said, no payment. <laughs> uh, death and destruction, like death and destruction, your desires are never satisfied. That's just human nature because we live in a fallen world. You're never satisfied. Under this sun, under in earth, you're never going to be satisfied if you're chasing things up there. So what Solomon is, is trying to tell you is think about eternal things. Something else Mr. Robert said, and, and Mr. Robert, you know, was almost a prophet for today, whether he realized it or not. He said uh, we, he was telling stories about his mom and his childhood and how he grew up and and um, I started talking about my grandpa who 
passed away no less than two months ago and he was like I bet you wish you could talk to him right now and I said I do and he said well the only thing I have that I hold on to are memories and what are memories just time spent right time spent with with who with people so your relationships is something that don't go away you think when we get to heaven we'll have relationships I think so. Thankfully, thankfully, we know, if you're a believer, you know that this stuff under the sun don't matter. Why? Because of Jesus, right? The gospel. Because Jesus paid that price. Somewhere in the New Testament, it says Jesus satisfied death once and for all. And because of Jesus, we can have that hope and that peace. If you don't know Jesus today, I'd love to tell you about him. Verse 9 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. How are two people better than one? Somebody tell me an example. I, fi- I figured, you know, I didn't want to put everybody on the spot, so I've got a few examples. <laughs> uh, I read this morning, actually, um, how two things are better than one. Uh, it's easier to run a race. Think if you're running a marathon and you got two people instead of one, you only got to run 13 miles instead of 26 all by yourself. <laughs> uh, you can relay race, that's better. Uh, a horse, a Belgian draft horse said one horse can pull about 8,000 pounds. So you would think two horses can pull 16,000 pounds, but they have witnessed two horses, Belgian draft horses, pulling up to 22,000 pounds. Um, Fruit bearing, producing stuff. Two people can produce more than one person, right? You You can't multiply by one person, can you? That's a good thing. Uh, Third thing, accountability and encouragement. Whether you know it or not, you need people around you. Because like Solomon, if if you're isolated, if you're alone, I am the best person to talk myself into or out of anything. I've said that many times. If I don't have somebody around me encouraging me, pointing me, to God toward eternal things then this life which is never satisfied brings death and destruction sooner or later in life you're going to run into it run head first into it how many of you struggle how many of you have been through some sort of destruction how many of you ever been depressed people say I've heard people say the best medicine is water, sunshine, and people. I know most people uh, that deal with any sort of mental health issues, it, there seems to be a pattern. And, and I know sometimes there's a chemical imbalance. I'm not saying this is all the time, so if this speaks to you, it does, and if it don't, it don't. But most people with mental health issues, if you look at their life 
They're very isolated in some sort of sense. You've got to have people around you to encourage you, to spur you along like Hebrew says, to hold you accountable because everybody has weaknesses, right? Nobody's perfect. Fourth thing, carry burdens. Two people can carry more than one person can. If you're trying to carry all that stuff along, you'll probably write a book like Ecclesiastes if you were to write one. <laughs> Jesus, what does he say? Come to me, all who are weary and need rest, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. I'll give you rest. Verse 10 says, If one person falls, then the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. If you'll notice, verses 10, 11, and 12 give examples to and support what verse 9 says. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. If you spend the night outside, you'll figure that one out. If a person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Which speaks to what I just explained. If you're alone, you're in real trouble. Maybe you don't trust people. I had a hard time trusting people. Especially people in church. I made excuses. and I've said this plenty of times and I'll probably say it a few more, but have you ever got a bad haircut? Yeah? Did you stop getting haircuts? you ever ate a bad meal? Did you stop eating? Just because you have a bad experience don't mean you quit. You don't give up on people. And I thank God people didn't give up on me because I wouldn't be standing up here talking to you today if, if people were to give up on me. Uh, even when I give up on myself. That's what Solomon's trying to tell you. You're better together. What's something that lasts? Relationships, right? Likewise, two people lying close together can keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? You can't. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. I think about uh, westerns. You ever watch the western and they get there in the middle of town and they get back to back and draw their guns and start going in a circle and they take out the whole town. <laughs> I love those parts. Um, somebody got your back. Somebody in your life got you back. If you're married, I hope your wife or your husband's got your back, but sometimes I learned hard lesson that if you put all that weight on them all the time, you're setting them up for failure. If you put your happiness in them and, and you put all your burdens on them, like Scott said after he got done singing the song, you cast your cares on Jesus because He cares for you. And, and some of those things might be misplaced and that you're putting on 
on your spouse, especially your happiness. That's something God's in charge of. If you put it all on your wife, you're setting her up, setting her up for failure. And I speak that because I, I've done it a couple times. And I realized we argued a lot more when I did. And I finally figured out mine or my wife's happiness shouldn't be dependent upon me or her. And if I give that to God, then I can be the one when she falls, I can help her up. And when I fall, she can help me up because I'm not thinking about if she's making me happy or not or if I'm making her happy. (coughs) Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Uh, when me and Chrissy got married, and, and a lot of times people use this at weddings, and, and it's applied to marriage, which is a great thing, but it's not only marriage. He's talking about just in general. Three people are better than two, and even better than one. If you're not married, do you got companionship? You got friendship? Do you got relationships? When me and Chrissy got married, a lot of times at the wedding, people will pour sand or have rings and, you know, it's a circle, never ends. Uh, me and Chrissy had a little easel and a board and three ropes nailed to it. And while they were playing the song, we braided the ropes together. And Ecclesiastes 4.12 was a verse. And that thing is framed and up on the wall in our bedroom, and and she made it. And uh, I didn't realize it. I knew what it was talking about, but I didn't realize it so much then as much as I do now because I've applied it. But in marriage, it's talking about you and your partner being together. That's great. But if you put God in the middle of it, that's even greater. But not only apply that to marriage, apply that to your friendships, your relationships, your, your brother, your sister, your family. Put God in the middle of it. Three people. What, what's something three people can do better than two? You know? Um, I looked something up on YouTube yesterday morning while my kids were eating breakfast and there was a pastor and his kids doing this object lesson and he had water balloons and he had put a milk jug out in the middle of a field with a um full of water and uh each one of his kids got up there and threw one water balloon and uh they all missed he's like well what if we try two people so two people threw them and they missed and he's like well what if we do three people and they Got a slingshot, and one held one end, one held the other, and the other drew the balloon back, an even bigger balloon, and launched it. And they hit the water jug. A triple braided cord is not easily broken. Relationships last. Remember that. Like Bobby said at the greeting, you know, we're intended for relationships. God made us for a relationship. Do you have relationships? What, do you, what does that mean? 
What do you have to do to get to know somebody? I say this all the time. How do you get to know somebody? Spend time with them, right? Well, like I said earlier, what do you spend your time on? What do you work for? What's the purpose of all of it? I'm not saying go and quit your job. But if you look at your job as a ministry, which is what ministry is, then I promise your work will have more meaning when you focus more on the people and invest time in that than just acquiring more stuff. Because the fellow that wrote this letter acquired everything you could acquire and got to the end of his life and was like, man, this ain't worth a hill of beans. Do life together. Verse 13 says, It is better to be a poor but wise youth than an old foolish king who refuses all advice. I don't know if, if Solomon's talking about himself, but I like to think he is, and that he's got to the end of his life, and you know he's ruler and king, and they've conquered lands, and he's got all these things and houses and mansions like he talked about at the beginning of the book and got thousand women just got everything you could ever imagine and he realizes he's old and foolish and can't nobody tell him nothing now because he refuses all advice it's better to be poor but wise and why what makes a poor young person wise anybody know that You're willing to listen, right? You're willing to seek counsel. That's part of doing life together. You got somebody in your life that's that can do that. I've said this before in in messages earlier this year. Um, You got real friends. I'm not talking about a buddy. I'm not talking about a golf buddy or a drinking buddy or you got some sort of common denominator commonality you do something you have something in common and that's what brings you together i mean do you have a friend that is willing to tell you what you don't want to hear because they care about you if you don't have friends like that i promise you somewhere in this body you can find somebody and the only thing you gotta do is be vulnerable humble and ask Take a step of faith. I know that's hard. It's hard to sacrifice your pride and your ego and say, you know, I'm, I suck. You know, I, I need help. It's hard to do that. I used to put on my bathroom mirror just to remind myself, you're not as good as you think you are. And it reminded me, I need people in my life. Whether you can make all the excuses in the world, you can be a victim. And say, you know, well, well, you haven't had so-and-so happen in your life. And you, you haven't been through what I've been through. If you keep reading this letter, it'll motivate you to realize that you keep going down that road. And when you get older and you're alone and you realize, well, what, was, what was the purpose of all this? Why do I feel so meaningless, pointless, futile? I think what 
Solomon's trying to say is life's a struggle, right? We live in a fallen world. It's not too hard to tell that nowadays. If you turn on the news, I'm sure you can get some of it. But you can either struggle alone, because it's going to be a struggle until Jesus comes back. Or you can do it together. And if you do it together, there's all these benefits like we just talked about. You can carry more. You can go further. You can produce more. You have somebody to encourage you. You have somebody to keep you honest and humble. So you can struggle alone or you can struggle together. My challenge to you is just to ask yourself. And if you don't have it figured out, sometimes I have to pray, Lord, my heart ain't right. I don't know how to fix this and I don't know what to do and I need your help. And there's sometimes I don't even know what I'm talking about. I just know there's something when I start feeling depressed or and everything in my life can be going right. Like we talked about Wednesday and James, you know, Paul and James compliment each other by saying struggle, trials, consider it all joy because they produce things that last and God puts those things in your life because He cares for you and He loves you and He cares more about you growing and maturing and getting closer to Him than He does about your comfortability or your contentment. Do life together. If you read Ephesians, that book's a lot about the body coming together. We all have parts. Did you know God made you unique, special? There's only one John. There's only one John Campbell. There's only one Mr. Al. There's only one Greg. And if Greg, John, Mr. Alvin aren't seeking God, seeking things above the sun and realizing the purpose of life, which is relationships, people, time, then they're not going to be who God made them to be. And that's going to be a part of the body that we're missing. And we're not going to be stronger because of it. And if we don't come together and do life together, we're going to have to keep attracting people with this hand and then trying to tell them about Jesus with this hand. Well, the majority of the time, if we just come together and love on each other, we wouldn't have to come up with all sorts of things to try to attract people to Jesus. Struggle alone or together? It's up to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, the privilege and just opportunity to, to study your word and, and to draw closer to you. And, and uh, thank you for people like Solomon, dear Lord, who, who went through everything you could go through and, uh, under this sun. And, and uh, thank you for just him pointing us to you, dear Lord, because 
I have found that uh, when I put my mind on eternal things, dear Lord, all the circumstances in my life aren't, it isn't as heavy a burden to carry and they don't, they don't matter so much. And, and when I put my faith and trust in you, dear Lord, I, I have this peace, dear Lord, that the world can't explain. God, I pray that um, wherever anybody is, that, uh, that they would just have the faith and be willing to ask you. I pray that uh, they would figure out the meaning of their life, the purpose of their life, and know that uh, when they put it toward eternal things, all the stuff in this world just kind of fades away and, and it brings this joy and this peace that, that gets you excited about your ministry, your job. It gets you excited about the people you put in our life, dear Lord. And, and uh, it changes lives. It changed my life. And God, I just thank you for it. Love you. Amen.